and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Ashley. And we are joined again today by our good friend Grant. Hi, Grant. Hi, guys. It's good to have you back with us. Uh, Grant was uh, on a few episodes with us in October when we talked about uh, Kronos as well as uh, 13 Days of Halloween films. And he's back with us now to talk about a movie from 1979 called Time After Time. He's going to tell us a little bit about it. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, so Time After Time is, uh, has been said. It's a 1979 film, so it's, it's reasonably old now. Uh, it's a film which is... a it has quite a crazy plot. It is about H.G. Um, uh, Wells, who uh, is kind of friends with Jack the Ripper, incidentally. H.G. <laughs> um, uh, Wells is played by Mal- Malcolm McDowell, and um, uh, Jack the Ripper is played by uh, David Warner. And what happens is Jack the Ripper, David Warner's character, uses H.G. Wells' time machine to go forward into, uh, into 1979. Um, and San Francisco and this is obviously a problem because he's Jack the Ripper Uh, and so H.G. Wells goes after him in his time machine um, uh, to try to capture him and sort of bring him back and in amongst this is a a love interest uh, played by Mary Steenburgen uh, and uh, it's it's just a crazy caper movie Uh, and if, if, I, if I kind of outlined the plot, it, it's it's a bit like a Doctor Who story, really. Uh, but I think I'll leave the summary of the plot there. Yes, this is a, you know, you, you mentioned it's a Doctor Who story. That's a good description because it, it is kind of just a fun fantasy film. And it's nicely paced and um, very surprisingly suspenseful at times. Um, it, you know, who doesn't like a time travel story and who doesn't like a Jack the Ripper story. I love both. And so this movie was right up my alley. I liked it a lot. Um, you know, it has, it kind of relies on fish out of water humor, uh, you know, as HG Wells kind of tries to make his way through 1979 San Francisco. Um, that's amusing stuff. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the premise is, is far fetched, but I think they, they managed to pull it off. And I think that's due a lot to the performances, which are all really good. Um, I I love Mary Steenburgen, and I think I think her heyday was kind of in the late seventies and the early eighties when I was growing up. And as a kid, I just absolutely loved her, and I was reminded of that watching this film. There's just something so likable and appealing about her, and and she's a really fine actress. So she she really made the movie for me. Her character is interesting. She's um, you know, she's a feminist, I guess you would say, and surprisingly aggressive when it comes to wanting a relationship with, with H.G. Wells. Um, and I felt like the, the kind of relationship that does develop between them was, was convincing and they had good chemistry. So I thoroughly enjoyed it and I think it's due a lot to, to the performances. This is a movie that I liked a lot as a kid. I don't remember whether my family rented it and I saw it or it was on HBO or maybe it was a combination of the two, but it absolutely mesmerized me as a kid. And there's a lot here to do that. I mean, you've got time travel, first of all, you've got, you know, two different settings in time. It starts out in like uh, the late 1800s in England and then moves into, you know, as as Grant said earlier, uh, 1979, San Francisco. Uh, You've got David Warner, who is, you know, it's funny. I'll get to the, 
to a little bit of this later, but there's things that I picked up on as a kid versus things I picked up on more later as an adult. But as a kid, I loved David Warner as a, as a, as a he's a good villain. Um, another movie that I watched as a kid that he was a good villain in was Time Bandits. But you know, he's, he's, he's just gripping in this movie. Uh, in, in, it, but it's a quiet mendacity that he has, uh, that works really well. Um, you've also got uh, kind of Jack the Ripper, which for whatever reason as a kid, I was fascinated by. Uh, I remember, uh, one of the main networks here in the eighties, I think, did a Jack the Ripper movie. It was starring Michael Caine. And even to this day, I still do an impression of him because he's completely <laughs> over the top Michael Caine in that movie. Um, but no, uh, and you've also got a romance. You've got, you know, the Mary Steenburgen, Michael McDowell, romance which it's fine you know it's it, but it's 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 fair as, as a kid i was a little bit more swept into that than i am as an adult but uh you know i've also been a fan of mary steenburgen for quite some time as well uh, another thing that I, I i liked about this movie and i realized that i liked it as a kid and and even now i i appreciate it even more is the score um the score is by miklos rosa who uh, not also uh, not only scored this, but also things like uh, Double Indemnity, Spellbound, the Ben Hur. Uh, so you know you you look for a film composer with a pedigree, and and here he is. And this is a good score. And I had forgotten until I, I've seen this a few times as an adult, and I always forget every time I watch it how bombastic the opening credits are. I think you were out of the room actually when mm-hmm. I was watching them again, but the. I mean, it's just the, the 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 font and the size of the lettering that comes up on screen, and and the 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 music, the swells, um, and yeah, so it's got a lovely score to it that I like. It also it's got really solid direction. Um, it's by Nicholas Meyer, and I, I was looking him up the last time I was watching this because I'm aware of him uh, directing this and Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, which are both really good movies. And I thought to myself, okay, now I'm sure he's got a lot of other things. And he's actually only got 10 directing credits to his name. And uh, it's been a while since he's directed anything. And I was a little surprised at that. But uh, no, this has got, this movie's got, in my opinion, a lot going for it. And it's a little, it's a, it's a bit cheesy 70s, uh, mostly, I think, with the effects. But uh, yeah, I love it. How about you, Grant? Uh, I agree with everything both of you have said about this film. I think it's, you know, it's, it's not a deep film at all, but it's a thoroughly entertaining film in a kind of old fashioned Hollywood kind of way. You know, the film is just made for you to sit there, you sit back and you enjoy the performances, you engage with the characters. Uh, I, I agree on, on, on all three of the sort of main, the main actors, but, but David Warner in particular, I think is, is, is chilling at, at times in this film. He's got a, a great line, which he says, um, it's uh, 90 years ago, I was a freak, but today I'm an amateur. And <laughs> I love the way he, he sort of, he, he, he says that as he's sitting, I think, in, in some sort of seedy hotel room in 1979, San Francisco. Uh, and I think the other thing that really stands out for me is the production design on the film. It's very sort of steampunk-like, you know, this sort of romantic Victorian technology spin and I really like that. And it's quite interesting that recently that sort of come back into vogue a little bit, I guess. Whereas in 1979, I don't think it, you know, it was. And so it's, it's, it's quite cool to sort of pick up on that. Uh, and I revisited it again recently um, 
in preparation for talking about it with you guys. And it's just one of those films that the t- time flies by in time after time. It's so fast. The film is really, you know, fastly paced and so much goes on. And uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't really got a, a bad word um, to say about the film, apart from that I, I do think it's quite it's quite cosmetic. There's, there's not much going be, you know on beneath the surface. It's just a fun and adventure movie. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it does make that one kind of sobering point that you allude to when he talks about how he's an amateur. You know, compared to the you know the violent culture in America that they find when they travel to 1979, he seems to fit right in Jack the Ripper. Um, so, you know, that makes you think for a moment, but for the most part, this is just kind of a fun, a fun film and, um, well-directed like you, like you've said, and, um, cinematography is nice. San Francisco is always a nice city to set a movie in. And it felt like at times we were kind of revisiting, um, um, scenes from Vertigo and all the different locations that yeah. they visited. And it's only 20 years after Vertigo. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, so I said there were things I picked up on as a kid versus an adult. Um, the adult thing is, uh, you know, I sort of took when I was a kid, I took for granted Malcolm McDowell's performance. But uh, now that I'm a little older, I, I really appreciate just, you know, it's it's not always easy to to do kind of be the the quiet good guy, the 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 milk toast good guy. Uh, but I think he does a good job here with that, especially too, since I've become a little more familiar with his resume and he does seem to often be pigeonholed as a bad guy. And so here seeing him as, you know, the, the very laid back good guy who, who does find his voice when necessary is, is good. Um, I still really appreciate, appreciate David Warner. Um, Mary Steenburgen is good. I feel like Mary Steenburgen's character though is a little, is a little, I was going to say erratic, but that's not the right word, but it's a little up and down because sometimes she's a little blank and a little dumb. And other times she's very smart, feminist, um, and, and, and plucky. And it's, it's, it kind of seesaws, I feel like between those. And, and that's a little bit of a, of an oddity I find with her character. Mm-hmm. I also like a couple of the cameos. I think, uh, Shelly Hack has a, a cameo here as a, as a museum employee. And then, uh, little Corey Feldman. I think this, I read this as his first role. He's a little kid, uh, it's very big toward the, well, when he, uh, when H.G. Wells first arrives in San Francisco, he's, he's a little kid at the museum. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the only thing I'd add about this film is it, it, um, even though it was made in 1979, and I, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with it, as I've said, it, to me, it kind of feels like a film that could be remade today and would have a really good audience. Um, and it still kind of feels quite fresh, like the the idea, you know, the sort of the plot is so off the wall. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, as I say, with the sort of the way it's it, it's presented in this sort of steampunk type fashion, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the film could do really well today, or even, even maybe it needs a bit of rediscovering. Did you happen to see the TV series that was made out of it? No, I did not. I did not watch it either. Um, I I'm looking at it up at uh, looking uh, up information for it now, and it starred Freddie Stroma as H.G. Wells, who I've heard of Freddie Stroma. Um, he he's in his mid thirties now. This this uh, show was on in 2017. It they made 12 episodes of it, but it was so unpopular that 
uh, they only aired six episodes of it here in the U.S. Oh. I did read in Canada that they did they did air all twelve of it there, but it did get canceled pretty quickly. Uh, the IMDb synopsis says. Uh, after H.G. Wells' friend Jack the Ripper escapes to present New York in this time machine, uh, we will try and capture him and bring him back to Victorian England. Little do they know that they will be involved in something bigger than they were expecting. And I, that I don't know what that alludes to, but uh, you know, this I think the movie is a really good self-contained movie. I I, I was a little surprised when I heard them that they were going to make a TV series out of it. But uh, and obviously it didn't go over well. Mm. But yeah, I didn't know if you'd seen it or anything. No, I hadn't seen it, and actually I, I wasn't aware of it. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know they attempted to sort of reboot it in any way. Mm. Um, I think I agree with you on. I, I I can't really see how there's enough legs in the story for it to be a TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe 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 that was the problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of, again, it's out there, so I guess we could see it if we wanted to. But, you know, the only thing I can think of not having seen it is you could make it into a Doctor Who-esque um, time travel thing um, with because H.G. Wells does have a time machine. But, but you know, again, I don't know. You kind of already have that with Doctor Who. and That's, uh, yeah. Anyway, that is uh, Time After Time. What would you give it out of 10, Grant? I'd give time out of time 8.5 out of 10. All right, Ashley. I give it 8 out of 10. And I give it an 8.3. So our score is an 8.3. And it is on the tomato meter. It has an 87% fresh from critics and a 72% audience score. That is um, time after time. Thanks for joining us, Grant. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.